0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Coming up on today's show, we'll look at the night on the ice and the NBA hardwood. Two games each in the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs. When is a home run not a home run? Apparently, it's whenever you play for the Pirates. And when is an answer not an answer? Apparently when you're Garrett Cole of the Yankees. All of that and more uh, coming up in the next two hours of The Rush. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential Central Workday. Several ways to get involved on the show. As always, check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word C. C is not my last name. It's just the initial of said last name. Check us out on the Book of Faces at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages, of course. As always, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, and drop me a message whenever you feel free. Drop me a message. Talk to me. Face-to-face instead of doing it behind my back. How about that? Those who know, know. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, Shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials just for you. Go back and check out anything you miss, any show. It's up there, all there, waiting for you on uh, said podcast page. All right. Uh, Let's kick off today's show as we kick off every single show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with Major League Baseball where the Orioles, yes the Orioles, continued to put up big numbers, uh, this time against the Mets.
2: That's hit well, deep down the left field line, and it is a fair ball! Out of here! Michael Franco wasn't sure it was going to stay fair, but it is a high-towering three-run shot. And the Orioles have opened up some breathing room now as they've tacked on three more to go up 8-2.
1: The call on Mid-Atlantic Sports Net. 10-3 the final as the O's win the first of the two-game set. Franco became the sixth player ever to hit a home run into the second deck at Camden Yards. Uh, Pat Vileka, in his first game back from the bereavement list, uh, following the death of his father-in-law, he had two doubles. So did Cedric Mullins. Anthony Santander also homered. Baltimore has now won five of its last six games following that uh, 14-game losing streak. Tonight, uh, Matt Harvey uh, faces his old team for the O's. Elsewhere, the Nationals. Were no match for Tyler Glasnow and the Rays.
2: And a cut and the miss for the fastball right down central at 98. <laughs> and there's a wave and a pitch in the dirt. He's going to turn, walk away. Zanino makes the tag. You, One away. I'll tell you what, you, you want to talk about lack of pitch recognition and not being able to pick up spin? This ball comes out of the hand and he's already swinging. That, he, he misses that ball by feet. And he got it. Strike three, bottom of the zone. 98 down there. He strikes out the side. Ten strikeouts through five for Glasnow.
1: The calls on Bally Sports South. Eleven strikeouts over seven innings for Glasnow. As the Rays beat the Nats three to one, Glasnow allowed just the one run on six hits. He now has six starts this season of seven or more innings and three or fewer runs. Trey Turner had an RBI single in the third for Washington's only run. They'll wrap up the mini two-game series tonight. Patrick Corbin gets the start for Washington. Catch the game right here, pregame, at 640. And in Pittsburgh, the Dodgers did a little yard work at PNC Park.
2: Swinging a ball, blasted to left and deep toward the notch. Evans back, this one's gone. Eight rows back into the bleachers and left. Chris Taylor hits a mammoth two-run home run, and the Dodgers lead 5-0.
1: The call on the Pirates Radio Network, 5-3 the final as the Dodgers uh, take the first of the three-game series. Adam Frazier had an RBI double for Pittsburgh to extend his hit streak to 11 games. Brian Reynolds and Michael Perez hit solo homers in the ninth uh, for the Bucs. And uh, much more on this game, unfortunately, later on. And in high school baseball, Isaac Van Meter had a three-run triple as Moorfield beat Petersburg 7-3 to win the Class A Region 2 Section 2 championship. Van Meter also pitched the final two innings in relief to pick up the save. Slade Seville had three of Petersburg's uh, six hits. And that is uh, your rock around the region, brought to you by the Rally Group. All right, so a lot to get to today. I am just sitting here trying to figure out in what order I want to uh, get into these things. We could do the Pirates first. Uh, you know what? Let's let's do the NBA. We'll do the NBA, then we'll do the Stanley Cup playoffs. Right. And then we'll do, I should have had this mapped out before because I just didn't have any time. I ran out of time this morning. Then we'll circle back and we'll do the Pirates. Maybe next hour because there was something that happened. (laughs) Something happened last night in the Pirates game that I had never seen happen before. At least on the major league level. I'm not saying it hasn't happened before. I'm just saying I've never seen it before. And only the Pirates, right? Only, Only the Pirates. Anyway, we'll get to that uh, later on, so stick around. Uh, Two games on the docket in the NBA playoffs last night with both number one seeds in action. The top seeded Jazz hosted the Clippers for game one of their uh, Western Conference semifinal. And as he has for most of the season, Donovan Mitchell put on a show for Utah.
2: Donovan comes off the pick. Luke Kennard is now guarding. Kawhi Leonard brings the double. Donovan goes away from it. Drives
1: with the right hand to the racket. Scored it! Oh, Donovan Mitchell, you are
3: marvelous!
1: 110-104. He was marvelous. The call on 97-5. The zone, 45 points for Donovan Mitchell, 32 in the second half as the Jazz had to rally from a double-digit deficit. But even with Mitchell's offensive heroics, the game was still in doubt until the final possession when the Clips had a chance to tie it up at the end of regulation. Flings to the corner to Morris. Three seconds, two seconds, blocked by Gobert. One second, he fires a two. The Jazz are going to win. The defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, Blocks the shot in the corner, and the Utah Jazz have taken a one-beam-to-nothing lead over the L.A. Clippers. The call once again on 97.5 The Zone. Rudy Gobert blocked Marcus Morris' three-point attempt with just seconds left. The Jazz escape 112-109 to take a 1-0 series lead. And it was actually quite a play by Gobert. Because Morris pumped fake Gobert out of his shoes, but Gobert recovered to block the shot. It, it was quite impressive because Gobert just went flying by and then came back and blocked it anyway. Uh, Utah trailed by as many as 14 uh, before using a 21 to9 run in the fourth quarter to take the lead. Mitchell struggled in the first half, mainly, Uh, Because he said he wasn't feeling well. He said he was dealing with nausea and lightheadedness uh, before halftime. Then he just went off in the second half for 32 of his 45 points. After the victory, he spoke with TNT.
4: That last possession, the Clippers had a chance to tie this thing up. You guys didn't have a chance to communicate defensively. What did you see on that possession?
5: We scrambled on the fly, you know. I think the best thing we we just were instinctive. You know, Rudy made a hell of a play. That's why he's defensive player of the year, You know, we did a great job of that. And you're getting yeah. a lot of
4: MVP chance right yeah. now, Donovan. But the turnaround in this game started in that third quarter. The first Two and a half minutes, you scored 10 straight points. What was your focus at that
5: point? Uh, Man, I let my team down the first half on both ends of the floor. You know, I let Reggie and Luke kind of get hot. Uh, They were kicking my ass a little bit. You know, I came in the locker room. I wasn't making the right reads in the first half, so I said, you know what, guys, it's on me. You know, at the end of the day, it's on me, and, you know, I had to go out there and just set the tone, and we did our thing. Now, we saw Dwayne Wade sitting over
4: there. You guys were chatting all night long. This was a wild game. advice to get through
5: this one yeah just things that he saw uh, throughout the game and you know it's great to have you know someone that I call my brother you know seeing courtside being part of this organization just trying to help me out and find ways to improve and not just with myself but finding ways with the team and you know I think that's the biggest thing that just you know I'm, I'm grateful that he's able to do that not a lot of guys do that you know and be able to do it especially live action in the playoff game but you know it, it was great
4: when you take a look at the first half to the second half, what's the takeaway heading into game two?
5: got to play hard. You know, they, they're, they're a talented team. You know, at the end of the day, we did some things wrong, they did some things wrong, and we're going to go ahead and adjust. But they are talented, and we got to go out there and be ready right to compete every single game and every single second. Can't let our foot off the gas. And credit to them, they came out. It's going to be a dogfight game, too, and we got to be ready.
1: Now, you heard the, the crowd uh, chanting MVP. Uh, not quite, but we'll get to that here uh, later on. Kawhi Leonard, 23 points. Paul George had 20 for the Clippers, who will try to tie up the series in Game 2 tomorrow back in Utah. Speaking of tying up a series, that's what the top-seeded 76ers were trying to do last night in Philly after they were, I guess you could say they were kind of shocked by Trey Young and the Hawks in Game 1. So Sixers trying to bounce back. Joe Embiid had a big game in Game 1. But they lost. Last night, same thing from Embiid, but different result for the Sixers.
0: And now Harris steals the ball. Careless pass by Bogdan Bogdanovich. Ahead of Embiid. Embiid in the lane around one minute. Throws it up and in. Down he goes, but on the right side, switched to the left hand and laid it in.
1: The call on 97-5. The Fanatic, 40 points, 13 rebounds for Joel Embiid. As the Sixers, they get the win. 118-102 to to tie the series at a game apiece. And remember, Embiid is playing on a slightly torn meniscus. Now, look, I have no idea what that is. I mean, I know what it is, but I don't know how hard it is to play on that kind of injury. But what do you have in game one? 39, I think. 39 in game one. Goes for 40 last night. Game three is Friday. The uh, series moves to Atlanta. Shake Milton. Good old Shake comes off the bench. 14 points uh, for Philadelphia. But it goes back to Embiid, who is really... He's showing no ill effects of that knee injury. I'm sure it's painful. I'm sure he's playing through pain. But so far through two games... He's been the best player on the floor. He has been the MVP caliber player he's been all season. And that has not been lost on ESPN's Brian Windhorst.
6: I know that not all meniscus injuries are the same. I know that some need surgery, and some maybe two, three weeks of Advil and ice, and you can be okay. But I did not expect Joel Embiid to be this type of player in this series. I mean, okay, you see 40 points and you know, double-digit rebounds. That's damn impressive. When you actually watch this game, his physical activity, the way he was moving offense and defense, the way he was sprinting end-to-end, the way he was beating double teams, feeding his teammates, I mean, this guy looked at the top of his game. And really, I know this is an important game. The Sixers lose this game, they're in trouble. I don't want to look past this game. I don't want to look past Shake Milton. But the Sixers had no chance to win the Eastern Conference, much less the title, unless Joel Embiid was MVP Joel. I thought we might not see that again unless they got to the conference finals. MVP Joel, I know he didn't win it. MVP Joel showed up tonight, and it's a huge, huge sign for the rest of this series.
7: Playoffs are about adjustments. What do you make of how Philadelphia guarded Trey Young, game one to game two?
6: Yeah, Scott, look, they're going to have to have Trey Young rules now uh, the, going forward because they kind. not I hate to say it, they kind of disrespected him in Game 1. They apparently thought the Knicks, what he did to the Knicks, you know, wasn't legit. I mean, I know that's not what Doc Rivers would say, but you have Matisse Thibel and Ben Simmons, two of the longest, strongest defenders in the league, and you put Danny Green on him. That didn't work in Game 1. So tonight, to Thibel and Simmons, their length bothered him. And look, I think still Trey Young's going to have a good games in this series, but he was not able to be a difference maker tonight because he had trouble shooting over those guys. And that's going to be the way it is going forward in this series.
1: So Sixers tied up at 1-1. And they're actually down. I'm sorry. They were actually up by 21 in the second half. And the Hawks came back to actually take the lead in the third quarter at 80 to 79. So the Sixers blew a 21-point lead last night. But then came Shake. Shake Milton, who didn't even play in the first half. He comes off the bench and promptly hits a three to put Philly back up on top, 82-80. to 80. It was Philadelphia's first bench points in 34 minutes. Then he nailed a three at the buzzer at the end of the third quarter. To put the Sixers up on top, 91-84. And then he nailed another jumper in the fourth to make it 95-84, and the Sixers went on to win from there. Shake Milton. Shake it up. 14 points in 14 minutes off the bench. It takes everybody, right? It takes everybody. Not just the superstars. Not just guys like Joel Embiid. Trey Young, who had uh, 21 last night after 32 in Game One, it takes everyone. It takes a guy like Shake Milton to come off the bench, right? Postseason heroes, the unsung heroes. And there you go. What is uh, do we know what Shake's first name is? Is it Shake? I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, I'm just curious. I have to look that up. As I mentioned, uh, Game Three Friday in Atlanta. Uh, the NBA announced the MVP yesterday, and Embiid, believe it or not, had just one first-place vote. He was a finalist. Just one first-place vote. And he finished second to the Joker, the Nuggets, Nikola Jokic. He won the MVP. Embiid this season, 28.5 points a game. To uh, Jokic, uh, 26.4 a game. Embiid, uh, 10.6 boards. To the Jokers, 10.8. So you may ask yourself, why the disparity? Why the big difference? If the numbers are so daggone close, Embiid averaged more points a game, the Joker just .2 boards per game better. Well, it was games played. The Joker played in all 72 games of the season. Embiid, just 51. It's a 21-game difference. And even though Embiid was a finalist, it's hard to give a guy an MVP when he, he missed 21 games. I mean, when he played, he was as great as he is. But you have to take that into consideration. So uh, Allen Iverson is still the last uh, sixer to win, win the MVP back in 2001. And Bede did say that the uh, finish, the one first-place vote, was quote-unquote disappointing. So the Joker, the big fella for Denver, wins the MVP, and he was on last night with Thea uh, Crew from TNT. June of 2014, 40 players were taken in the draft before your name was called now june of 21 you're sitting there with that uh, mvp hardware how do you put that into words
8: all the luck i can say probably uh a lot of people trust in me uh, a lot of people work for me so I can uh, i can get here and i put some work too so it's uh, it's a little bit of everything you know it's uh, people trusting me um working for me getting me better and um i put a little bit more a uh, little, uh, little work so i think it's just combining everything together
0: <clears throat> joker shack here first thing thank you because of you the big man is back you're the first big man to win an mvp in a long time i thank you and i appreciate you very much coming from serbia as a kid did you ever say to yourself i will be an mvp in uh, nba one day
8: no i uh, to be honest uh, like I-, I didn't even think i'm out of being nba you know uh my goal in that when i started to play uh, basketball back home it was playing a euro leagues because that was kind of the closest uh, league the closest top league to, to my country you know i can play in, in some big uh, big, uh, big clubs in, in serbia and kind of grind my way up but um then when denver nuggets uh when denver nuggets uh, drafted me it was um it was a opportunity uh, for me to To become an NBA player, and uh, I think I did a good job of. This is how rare his MVP
1: award is. He was taken with the 41st overall pick in the NBA draft seven years ago. He is the first player. He is the first second-round pick to win the MVP in the common draft era, which was back uh, started back in 1966. Moses Malone, he won three MVPs, but he started his career in the, A- in the ABA. So he technically, he was an, N- he was an undrafted NBA player. Technically. Because he started in the ABA. So I don't know if he fits into that list or not. But the Joker, the lowest drafted player to ever win the MVP. Again, the 41st overall pick. Giannis... Uh, Steve Nash, they were the 15th overall picks in their respective drafts. That's the, uh, the next lowest. Then Kobe was 13th, and Karl Malone was also 13th. And the voting wasn't even close. I mean, it wasn't even a contest. The Joker got 91 of the 101 first-place votes. As I said, Embiid only got one. Uh, Steph Curry, who finished third, got five first-place votes. Giannis, he finished fourth. Chris Paul fifth in the voting. Somehow, some way, Derek Rose got a first place MVP. I don't know who I don't know who cast that vote. Guarantee it's somebody from New York. But that wouldn't make a difference. I mean, obviously that vote can go to somebody else. But Derek Rose, who finished what, what's the counter? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, who finished ninth in the voting, got one first place vote. That's ridiculous. That's the only reason why he finished ninth. But anyway, congratulations to the Joker for becoming the sixth international player to win the NBA's MVP. And I know why, uh, I know why Shaq was congratulating him for being a big man winning the MVP because Shaq was the last big man. The last true big man to win the MVP way back, I think it was 2001. So that was the night in the NBA. When we come back, we'll check out the night on the ice. Two games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Stick around. That's coming up next, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. It's dial and dance on this Wednesday. Talk about whatever. We're talking about the NBA last segment. We're about to get into the Stanley Cup playoffs from last night. At some point in the show, some more Packers drama. Well, I mean, it's the same drama, but, you know, an update on said drama. Drama. Yeah, I know the word's drama. I just do that just to be stupid. Also, something that happened in the Pirates game last night that I've never seen before, not on, not on the professional level anyway. <laughs> All that and more coming up. Uh, whatever, much an hour and a half left or whenever I feel like leaving. I don't know. 301-759-2628. Also, hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush and on the Book of Faces at WCMD uh, Cumberland Radio. Uh, Two games on the ice last night. The defending cup champion, Lightning. Uh, They had the Hurricanes on the ropes, up three games to one. Uh, Carolina trying to stay alive. Uh, The game was uh, in Carolina. And, uh, well, they didn't.
2: Time winds down. Palato on the fire boards. Gives it to Slayman, and it's over. Boy. Another shutout for Andre Vasilevsky in a series-clenching victory. Really the Lightning real. have eliminated the Hurricanes. They win game 5 2 nothing. They win the series 4-1, and they are back to the final four. The,
1: The... the, the, the Nobody is more over the top than NHL play-by-play guys. Nobody. There have been some excitable uh, football guys. There have been some excitable basketball announcers. Nobody goes over the top more than NHL play-by-play guys. And particularly Dave Mishkin right there from 970 uh, WFLA. Lightning get the win 2-0. As you heard him say, emphatically they win the series four games to one and the Defending Cup champs move on to the semifinals where they will face either the Lightning, I'm sorry, the yeah, they're going to face themselves. They're so good that everybody else should just go home and they're just going to play themselves for the Stanley Cup. They will face either the Islanders or the Bruins in one of the semifinals. Uh, Braden Point, Ross Colton got the goals for Tampa. But you heard him. Goaltender Andre Vasilevsky. His third straight shutout in a series-clinching victory, right? Not third straight shutout this series. That would be impressive enough. But his last three wins that clinched a series, they have all been shutouts. Tampa Bay now 5-1 and one on the road this playoff season. They beat Carolina all three games in Carolina. This is a Hurricanes team that finished five points ahead of Tampa Bay in the standings. In the Central Division, Carolina was first, Florida second, Tampa Bay was third. And the Lightning, back at it again. Back in the Final Four. Thanks mainly, well, to their skill guys, of course, the way they play and Andre Vasilevsky. Here's ESPN's uh, Barry Melrose.
9: Tampa Bay does not come on the ice to outskill ya. They come on the ice to will you, And that's what makes this team special. There's lots of talented teams in the NHL that can uh, put five or six really skilled guys on the ice. But Tampa Bay's guys work their butts off. They punish you. They're fast. They block shots. They blocked over 20 shots in today's game. You, those skilled guys don't like blocking shots, Scotty. I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> but they've got everybody buying in. They use their speed defensively, they use their speed offensively, Uh, they're good around the wall, they'll pay a price to get the puck out, all those things. All the things that Stars hate, they do and they relish it and they do it for their teammates. So that's why Tampa Bay is so hard to play against. They do the ugly dirty things and people don't like to play against ugly dirty guys.
7: Well that's why my guy Stanford Steve's the best. He just said he'd take a puck for our show. He'd he'd take a puck for us. We know he's a mucker and a grinder. Meanwhile we we mentioned Andre Vasilevsky. Oh has he ever. He's the best. He turns away 29 shots here in this one and we know the Tampa Bay offense is capable of hanging a big number on you. What's making him so good here
9: off this shutout? When God said uh, build the perfect goaltender, that's what they built. They built Vasilevsky. The guy is great. Uh, The guy is built for goal. He's he's a gifted athlete. He's huge. He's got a huge wingspan. He looks like a California condor. Uh, He handles the puck really well. Uh, he likes to handle the puck. A matter of factly, uh, he, he, he's a warrior in net. He just does not like to be scored on, whether it's in practice or whether it's a game condition. The guy just hates being scored on, and that's uh, one of the reasons he's good every night. He just wants to play. He doesn't want any rest. He doesn't want the backup to play. He wants to be in the net. He wants to determine how Tampa Bay does in the playoffs. And this guy in net, Tampa Bay will be good in the playoffs. There's no doubt about that.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, that's an understatement. They'll be good. They only won the Cup last year, and they won the Final Four this year. Now, there was another game last night. Vegas was at Colorado. The pivotal Game 5. That series tied two games apiece. Uh, Each team was holding uh, serve on home ice. The Avalanche won the first two games of the series at home. Vegas, the next two to tie the series up. So, last night, pivotal Game 5
4: time By the Golden Knights
1: in Game Five of Second Round yesterday, the final score was three to two. There you go. I don't need to go on because Siri uh, just screwed me up. Thanks, Siri. <laughs> 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 oh! I said the word "series," which of course prompted Siri, who then. <laughs> who then picked up on what I was saying, and so there you go. There, I don't even need to play the clip now because Siri just told you what happened last night. Just when I think that things just can't get screwier around here, that happens. That's amazing. That is amazing. Anyway, I might as well just keep. I might as well just finish it up. I might as well just keep on going. Unless Siri, you want to, you want to jump in here at all? No, okay. The Avs had a 2-0 lead last night. They took a 2-0 lead into the third period. Vegas scores two third-period goals to tie it up, and they send it into, as you heard Siri say,
2: overtime. Njushkin up top, Braves shoots, blocked by Stone, rebound shot, pinballs in front.
9: Pick it up by Pat out for Stone, here he comes. Working left side, he shoots, he
0: scores! Mark Stone, he wins it in overtime, 3-2.
1: The Golden Knights game-winning goal-scoring leader in the regular season wins it in OT. The call right there, the over-modulated call on Fox Sports 98.9. Mark Stone, 50 seconds into the extra sesh. The Knights beat the Avs 3-2 in that pivotal Game 5. The chance to close out the series tomorrow night in Vegas. Mark Andre Fleury, the man, the myth, the legend. Again, I told you the other day. I'm kind of since the Penguins are done, I'm rooting for Vegas because I still have a soft spot for Mark Andre because of his years uh, in Pittsburgh. Stopped 28 shots. Some saves were just out of this world. He picked up playoff win number 88, which tied him with Billy Smith and Eddie Belfour for the 4th most playoff victories in NHL history. It was also Fleury's 12th career playoff overtime win, which is 3rd most among active goaltenders. Uh, Tuka Rask has 15, and Braden Holpe has 14. And now the Flower has 12. We always sit there and we always kid when I say the Pivotal Game 5, and they are. The winner of Game 5, after the series is tied 2-2, goes on to take the series 78.8% of the time. That's that's a big number. Numbers don't lie, right? We talk about it in sports all the time. Numbers don't lie. Stats matter. When a best-of-seven series is tied at two games... The winner of Game 5 almost 79% of the time goes on to win the series. And again, Vegas has a chance to close it out. Game 6, tomorrow night at home. That's, that's a bucket list game for me right there. First of all, I love Vegas. A bucket list, I want to see a hockey game in Vegas. That's a show in and of itself. All right, uh, one more break, and then back up to wrap up hour number one. Stick around, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush. As the
1: uh, drama continues in Green Bay, Packers opened up their mandatory minicamp yesterday, and as expected, Aaron Rodgers was a no-show as that stalemate continues. A couple players, a couple all-pros, uh, two of Rodgers' closest friends, uh, receiver Devontae Adams and left tackle David Bokhtari, supported Rodgers, but at the same time very careful, <laughs> as you would expect, uh, not to upset, you know, the people they actually work for. Here is Devontae Adams.
5: I got his back through everything, so he knows at the end of the day if he if if there's ever a wonder of- you know, he's lost a, a teammate or something because of all this come out. Like, he knows where I stand. I'll stand on the – excuse me. I'll stand on the mountain and uh, and uh, scream on the mountaintop, you know, that I, that I got his back. Honestly, I got no expectations, man. I'm just, you know, being supportive of my God and uh, let it all uh, unfold how it does. Obviously, I'm I'm praying that he comes back. We all want him back.
1: Adams also said that uh, – he said he doesn't think siding with Rodgers – that he's not necessarily criticizing the Packers. He said that he thinks that any GM, any president, any owner should want the type of guys that are backing their players, especially a player like Rodgers. He's not saying forget the front office. He's just backing his guy. And if you're a receiver, <laughs> all right, if you're a wide receiver and your quarterback's Aaron Rodgers, you better back your quarterback you better back the guy who's going to throw you the football when if he shows back up to the team right that it would be a a bad career choice if you're Devontae Adams and you upset the quarterback Bakhtari, uh he spent the off season hanging out with Rodgers they were hanging at the Kentucky Derby he said he he's not going to try to influence Rodgers decision either way He just said he cares about Rogers as a a friend. And he says whatever he wants to do, this is a quote, whatever he wants to do, whatever the situation that comes out, I will never hold any grudge against him. That is my friend. That is someone I have appreciated, and he has done a lot for this organization and a lot for me as an individual. This quote continues. Now, as a teammate, I would be idiotic. To say that I don't want the MVP back. it's true. He's the MVP of the league. Why wouldn't you want him back? And the Packers, they got to know, right? They got to know that if Rodgers doesn't come back, they are in trouble. And we talked about this yesterday, how the Packers would handle Rodgers not showing up to the mandatory minicamp. It's the first time Rodgers has never showed up for a minicamp, he was the only player who was considered a minicamp holdout yesterday, which brings along some fines. He could be fined up to ninety-three thousand bucks for missing the three-day mandatory minicamp. There was talk yesterday that the Packers, kind of in an effort to extend an olive branch, would waive those fines, even though he's holding out, even though he's not shown up. The Packers might call, you know, call an excused absence, and waive the fines. Jen Latta of ESPN Milwaukee says it's probably a good idea if the Packers do just that.
4: A million percent, you extend that olive branch. Like that should be a no-brainer at this point. You know, there are some people in this state who feel that when the um, president of the Packers, Mark Murphy, went on to the Packers' website this past weekend and answered some fans' questions, he took some unnecessary shots at Rodgers. I didn't really see it that way. I thought he was kind of trying to use the platform to kind of get the brasses side of things out, which is to say that the situation is dividing the fan base. But he certainly did give a unprompted endorsement Of, of at least Brian Gudekunz, who now, you know, is a guy who many people probably never knew his name, but now know him as like the arch rival of his future Hall of Fame quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. And I think that that type of stuff can rub Rodgers the wrong way. So anything you can do to try to show him any type of good faith gesture that you really do want him back, that this isn't just posturing, that this isn't just lip service, I think would go a long way to resolving this. Now it's just figuring out, guys, what Aaron wants.
1: Which still we don't know. We don't know what Aaron Rodgers wants because Aaron Rodgers won't say what he wants, at least not publicly anyway. We, We have no idea why he's not even there. We have, and, he, and she mentioned the GM uh, Gutekunst, that he is uh, villain number one. That it, it's that's that's where the rift is, that's where the issue is. It's Rogers and the GM for whatever reason. Maybe it's a contract deal. We don't know. Maybe it goes back to still drafting the quarterback uh, Jordan Love in the first round. We don't know. But here's here's the kicker. If Rodgers is so upset that the Packers took Jordan Love in the first round a couple years ago, guess who's getting all the first team reps right now in minicamp when Rodgers isn't there? Jordan Love, right—the guy that Rodgers, and you know, according to some reports, is so worried about that was so upset that he was taken in the first round to be his replacement. He's the one getting the first team reps because Rodgers isn't there. Now, fortunately for Rodgers, according to one story. Uh, Love wasn't very good yesterday. It says uh, he struggled with his accuracy yesterday, missed several throws, and failed in his only attempt at the two-minute drill. So maybe, you know, not that Rodgers has anything to worry about anyway, but if I'm sitting there and I'm sweating a guy being taken in the first round, if that is indeed the reason why he's not there, because they took Love in the first round, you're giving Love an opportunity because you're not there. Unfortunately, at least for one day, the mini camp love is not taking advantage of that opportunity. He was given the majority of the number one QB reps, and he did not perform well. So we'll see what happens. Oh, as the Green Bay Packers' world turns. I, I can't wait. One way or the other, it has to, it has to end, right? It has to end sooner or later. One way or the other. Either Rodgers comes back or he doesn't. Either way, I don't care. I just want it to be over. All right, coming up next hour, we're we'll rocking around the region and something happened in the Pirates game last night I've never seen before. That's coming up next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: You know, I, I kid. I joke when I say time. That's the accent that's just just what it is. I know that because I have that accent. That's how I guess where I grew up. I grew up in southwest Pennsylvania. A lot of people around here have that accent. I kid because I care. Johnstown. Let's go down to Johnstown. There's a show which I just discovered. I mean it's been it's been out for a little bit. I just started watching it. Uh the wife and I and my brother told me about it. It's called Mayor of East Town. It's on uh, HBO. So if you have it, I highly suggest it. It is. We're only through three episodes, but so far, it's fantastic. Not not Mayor, as in M-A-Y-O-R. It's Mayor. M A R. Her name is Mayor. M-A-R-E. Uh, uh, what's your name? Mayor. Uh, Mm, Kate Winslet, right—the girl from uh, Titanic. She's a detective, and she's fantastic. She plays this role to a T, and and the show is set in Eastern Pennsylvania. And their accents are—they have it down to a T. Eastern PA accents significantly different from Western PA accents. Eastern PA accents run more along the lines of coastal accents, Baltimore accents, right? They're pretty much right there on the same line. If you look at a map, you know it's not water; it's water. Right? Give me a glass of water. But I mean, and Kate Winslet, I, she's British, right? Is she not? Like, if you listen to her, just do an interview; she's British. But then she played the great role in, in Titanic, and now here she is playing <laughs> a detective in Eastern PA. It's phenomenal. The show so far is great. I recommend it. Free plug for HBO. Mayor of Easttown. If you have an opportunity, I highly if you like the murder mystery, the dramas kind of deals, the detective who done it kind of watch it. Anyway. Reminders, several ways to get involved on the show. Our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush, uh, at Rush Tony C, our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. Uh, anytime you feel froggy, take the leap. Drop me a line, send me a message, question, comment, opinion, whatever. Get involved. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercial. You know the drill by now. If you miss any part of any show, it's all there for you. For instance, if you missed last hour, we talked uh, NBA playoffs, the two games on the hardwood last night. We talked Stanley Cup playoffs, the defending cup champions, moving on once again to the Final Four. And we talked, of course, about more Packers drama up in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, as expected, did not report to the mandatory minicamp, uh, which began yesterday. So if you missed any of it, go back and check it out uh, on the free Podbean app. All right, uh, let's once again rock around the region. And we start with Major League Baseball where the Orioles continue to put up big numbers, this time against the Mets.
2: That's hit well deep down the left field line, and it is a fair ball wow. out of here. Michael Franco wasn't sure it was going to stay fair, but it is a high-towering three-run shot, and the Orioles have opened up some breathing room now as they've tacked on three more to go up 8-2. to two.
1: The call on Mid-Atlantic Sports 10-3 the final. As the O's win the first of the two-game series, Franco became the sixth player ever to hit a home run into the second deck at Camden Yards. Pat Vileka, in his first game back from the bereavement list following the death of his father-in-law, he had two doubles. So did Cedric Mullins. He stays red hot. Anthony Santander also homered for the O's who have now won five of six following that 14-game losing streak. Elsewhere, the Nationals were no match for Tyler Glass now in Tampa Bay.
2: And a cut in the midst for the
9: fastball right down central at 98.
2: <laughs> and there's a wave and a pitch in the dirt. Andrew's going to turn, walk away. and Zanino makes the tag. You, One away. I'll tell you what, you, you want to talk about lack of pitch recognition and not being able to pick up spin? This ball comes out of the hand, and he's already swinging. He he misses that ball by feet. And he got Strike three, bottom of the zone. 98 down there. He strikes out the side. Ten strikeouts through five for Glasnow.
1: The call on Bally Sports South. Eleven strikeouts over seven innings for Glasnow. As the Rays beat the Nats 3-1, Glasnow allowed just the one run on six hits. He now has six starts this season of seven or more innings and three or fewer runs. Trey Turner had an RBI single in the third for Washington's only run. They will wrap up the mini two-game series tonight. Patrick Corbin gets the start for the Nats. Catch the game right here, pregame, at 640. And in Pittsburgh, the Dodgers did a little yard work at PNC Park.
2: Swinging a ball, blasted to left and deep toward the notch. Evans back. This one's gone. Eight rows back into the bleachers and left. Chris Taylor hits a mammoth two-run home run, and the Dodgers lead five to nothing.
1: Call on the Pirates radio network five three. The final as the Dodgers take the first of the three-game set. Adam Frazier had an RBI double for the Bucks to extend his hit streak to 11 games. Brian Reynolds and Michael Perez hit solo homers in the ninth for the Pirates. Much more on this game <laughs> in just a bit. And in high school baseball, Isaac Van Meter had a three-run triple as Moorfield beat Petersburg 7-3 to win the Class A Region 2 Section 2 Championship. Van Meter also pitched the final two innings in relief to pick up the save as Slade Seville had three of Petersburg's six hits. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Capper Rally Group. I do believe we have some uh, Maryland uh, baseball playoffs today, right? 1A West, right? Was it semifinals, quarterfinals? I think Northern is hosting Mountain Ridge, is that right? And then uh, Southern is taking on Allegheny. Weather permitting, of course. And that's your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Capper Rally Group. All right. (laughs) <laughs> so, it's no secret that the Pittsburgh Pirates are bad. They've been bad for the majority of the past, well, oh, I don't know, 30 years. And you watch a team like the Pirates long enough, you see some crazy stuff. You see some pretty bad baseball, right? You see things, I guess that goes with any team, any sport really is that just whenever you think you've seen it all, you haven't. Now, I don't know if this would have made a difference. I don't know if it you know would have changed the course of last night's game against the Dodgers. I, I don't know. But early in the game, in the first inning, as a matter of fact, bottom of the first, the Pirates' young superstar, I have sung his praises on this show over and over and over again. Key Brian Hayes stepped to the plate and gave the Pirates an early
2: lead. And a swing and a line drive to right toward the foul pole. This one is gone. It hit the foul pole right at the top of the wall. Hayes was rounding second before he finally saw the call. He hit it out of here for a home run, and the Pirates are up 1-0. Joe blocked
1: the call on the Pirates radio network. Two things to remember here. Number one, he said he was rounding second before he got the call that it was a home run. And Joe just said that, you know, he put the Pirates ahead uh, 1 0. Mm, not so fast. We thought that Hayes had given the Pirates the lead. He is trucking around second because he didn't know that the ball hit the foul pole. He thought the ball was still in play. And as he rounded first and he headed to second, he kind of forgot something.
2: They are saying that he didn't touch first base and he is out. And he did not touch first base. Boy, the advantage of the Dodgers being in the first base dugout and alertly watching the runner. And Hayes missed first base. He didn't come within inches of it.
1: The call on AM 570 LA Sports. The Dodgers appealed uh, first to the first base. They threw the ball the first, touched the bag. There was no call because the ump didn't see it. So, they went to replay. And the Dodgers dodge a bullet Wow! off the bat of Cabrian Hayes, who misses first base. Replay confirmed what we already knew. He missed first base. He missed first base on a home run. He missed first base. The home run was wiped off the board, and it was still nothing, nothing. Congratulations, Key Brian Hayes. You are officially a Pittsburgh Pirate. Because only someone wearing a Pirates uniform could cost himself a home run by not touching a bag. It's stunning. It's stun it's a mistake by a young player. Do you go do you recall way back in the day when Mark McGuire broke Roger Maris' home run record? You remember when he he missed first? And all the excitement. Remember he had to go back and touch up first base? Remember that? Hayes didn't do that. He missed first. On a home run. Now, I played the home run call by Joe Block. Listen to Joe and Michael McHenry try to figure out what's going on as the Dodgers challenge the call.
2: And that, uh, it just parked itself about the only place it could. It was just fair and just over the wall. Hitting the uh, base of the foul pole. It hit below where the screen even begins. And. Uh, I want to know if this is going to be uh, if the Dodgers are challenging this I, th- I would be surprised the uh, umpires may be looking at, at this on their own. Uh, because it was so close to not only uh, being short of the wall but also fair or foul. I think it was fair and I think it was over the wall but it was close and so I think they're going to take a look at this. But is it a Dodgers challenge it would be risky if the Dodgers use their challenge at this stage of the game in my opinion
3: I agree with everything you just said I I think it was a homer as well I think it hit the bottom black part just under where the yellow starts above the Clemente wall I mean I I don't think he could have placed it in any but I I don't know if you could actually throw a ball right there about 30 feet away that was just put an absolute perfect spot
2: so the umpires are looking at it right now and this is a a Dodgers challenge no home run they've waved off the home run and um, that's surprising the call on the field is oh he's he's out for not touching first base oh my gosh that's why he's out. It wasn't whether the ball was fair or foul, as whether he touched first base and he did not touch first base.
1: <laughs> so, did you did you hear the total disappointment in Block's voice right there at the very end? Can we can we play that again?
2: And he did not touch first
1: base. That is the sound of a man who is totally defeated. The sound of a man who has been beaten and broken by having to suffer through calling games
2: for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he did not touch first base.
1: He did not touch first base. They thought the challenge was whether or not it was a home run, and it was in a weird spot. It was in a weird spot where that ball hit. So in Hayes' defense, he was running hard because he wasn't, he didn't know the ball, it didn't know it was a home run because it hit in such a weird spot right there on the foul pole. And he was watching the ball. Hayes was trying to track the ball as he rounded first. And he missed the bag. But Like Pirates manager Derek Shelton said, if there's a question, if you're not sure, if there's an inkling of a doubt on whether he touched the bag or not, he should have gone back and touched it. And he didn't. He just kept on going. And he cost his team a run and an early lead. And the way Walker Bueller was pitching, they needed that run. They they needed all the runs they could get. Bueller went on to pitch seven scoreless innings. He allowed just two hits. One of those was not from the Hayes mistake. He didn't even get credit for a hit. That's how crazy that play was. Because he missed first base. He never touched first base back. He went from a home run, right? So he, he, it happens to the Pirates. He went From 1-for-1 with a homer to 0-for-1. At one point, Bueller, Bueller had as many hits as the entire Pirates team. They each had two. That's how sorry the Pirates were at the plate and how good Bueller was on the mound. And at the plate, for that matter. A little side note here, Bueller is now 5-0. He hasn't lost in 21 starts. That ties uh, Clayton Kershaw and Julio Urias for the longest streak by a Dodgers pitcher since they moved to L.A. from Brooklyn in 1958. (laughs) Only the Pirates, man, I swear. Only the Pirates. If you would have told me that story, but didn't tell me, if you would have told me that a player had a home run taken off the board because he missed first base, if you would have told me that but not told me who did it or what game it happened in or what team it happened to, I'd be been, oh yeah, that's the Pirates. Oh, no question. No question. This is the same team. At a few weeks ago, remember Craig Wilson against the Cubs? Who ran a base runner back to home plate from first base with two outs. Something about that first base bag that really seems to trip up the Pirates for some reason. Maybe because they don't really see it very often, unless you're Adam Frazier. (laughs) So they're not exactly sure what to do at the first base bag. never seen it I've ne- I've never again I'm not saying it never happened before I've never seen it happen especially at the major league professional level a player miss a bag on a home run and get those points taken off the board guarantee you one thing though this is as much I can guarantee you a couple things here key Brian Hayes he's young he'll get over it he came back and he had a hit later on in the game. He's going to be a great player. Key Brian Hayes is going to be a great player. That much, I'll guarantee you that. I'll also guarantee he never misses a bag ever again on a home run, maybe on every, any ever. That is just one of those hard learning experiences. Sometimes you got to learn the hard way, sometimes you got to make a mistake to learn from it, to grow from it, and become better. Guarantee that Key Brian Hayes never misses a bag the rest of his career. Oh, those battling buckos. And then on top of that, I played you the clip earlier about Tyler Glasnow mowing down the Nationals. 11 strikeouts last night. Just one run in seven innings. He lowered his ERA to 2.57. So I got to come in here this morning and go over this Key Brian Hayes gaff. And also see Glasnow, who by the former Pirate. With each passing day, that trade is becoming one of the worst trades in baseball history. With each passing day, we ran over some numbers yesterday. Austin Meadows, former Pirate, tied for the major league lead in runs batted in. Glassnod goes out last night and simply dominates the Nationals as he's been dominating teams all season. Shane Baz, former number one pick for the Bucs. I think he's in, he might be in Tampa's double A system right now. He's put up good numbers. The Pirates sent all three of those players to the Rays for Chris Archer. You know where Archer is now? Back with the Rays. They send him back. The Pirates send Tyler Glasnow, Austin Meadows, Shane Baz to Tampa for Chris Archer, and they end up sending Archer back to Tampa. Each day that goes by with each strikeout that Glasnow racks up, with each run that Meadows drives in, which, with each strong performance that Shane Baz uh, puts out there in the minor league system for ten, it is increasingly becoming one of the worst—not just in—not just in Pirates history, in baseball history. Look up the numbers. Look, if if Archer would have come to Pittsburgh and and would have been lights out, fantastic, then it's that's, it's different. It's a different story. It's a different story. You got to give up some prospects. You got to give up some talent to get talent. And at the time, people were all over the Archer trade. Oh, they loved the fact. Because Glasnow wasn't getting it done in Pittsburgh. All right. If you recall the story, he dominated Triple A. Dominated Triple A. There was absolutely nothing that Tyler Glasnow could do in Triple A anymore. He was that good. But every time they called him up, he wasn't good. He struggled with the Pirates. Walked too many batters. And I think that's part of the... And people will say, well, you know, he wasn't going to get it done in Pittsburgh, so trading him was okay. Now you look back at it, and it wasn't Glasnow. It was Clint Hurdle and Ray Sears, the pitching coach. They're the ones. They're the reasons why Glasnow didn't reach full potential with the Pirates. It wasn't Glasnow, because he dominated Triple-A. So it was no coincidence that when he got called up and had to be around those two buffoons, Hurdle and Searage, he struggled. That's why Garrett Cole didn't reach full potential in Pittsburgh because of Hurdle and Searage. Go down the list of the pitchers. Now, Searage was great with reclamation projects. He was great bringing in old veterans like A.J. Burnett, uh, Liriano, with those kind of guys. But as far as develop because they had their own pitching strategy, they had their own pitching philosophy, which did not work with guys like Garrett Cole and Tyler Glasnow. That's why Cole leaves, and trust me, we're talking about Garrett Cole here next segment, because he's in a little bit of trouble as well. Garrett Cole got really good after he left Pittsburgh for apparently a couple reasons. One reason was getting away from Hurdle and Searich. Another one is he's he's probably cheating. That's coming up next segment. Stick around for that. Charlie Morton got better after you left Pittsburgh. Joe Musgrove got better. Well, he just left last. I guess not fair. He just left last season. So I can't really say that. But he has no hitter this season. It It is difficult to sit and watch the Pirates stink game after game after game. But then watch former former Pirates, like Glasnow, like Meadows, like Cole, be so productive somewhere else. Anyway. The man missed first base on a home run. That's all I got to say. That sums up the Pittsburgh Pirates in a nutshell. All right, news and weather coming up. Then we'll be back. Talk about Garrett Cole. Stick around, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Before we get to the Garrett Cole situation, uh, I have an announcement here. Uh, there is a uh, a young swimmer in the area. Uh, he's a freshman at Allegheny High School. Well, I guess he was a freshman, and now he's he's going to be a sophomore. since school's out, right? Uh, Daniel Deal. Uh, fantastic uh, swimmer. He's already busted up Michael Phelps age group records. And he's been invited to the Olympic trials, which I do believe is in Nebraska, right? Coming up uh, in July, I do believe. And so uh, he's trying to raise some money to help cover the costs and expenses, travel expenses and whatnot for the Olympic trials. So there are a couple area businesses jumping on board to help uh, this young fellow raise the money. So on Father's Day, which is Sunday, uh, June 20th, the Beach Club in Frostburg will donate 10% of sales that day to uh, Daniel Deal to, again, help with the Olympic trial expenses. The following day, Mezzo's in downtown Cumberland jumping on board, they will donate 10% of the sales to Daniel as well. And so there you go. So what you do is, on Sunday, you take Dad, his Father's Day, you take him to uh, the beach club in Frostburg and help the cause that way. And then the next day, I don't know, take uh, take Mom to Mezzo's and, and do that. Fair enough? Just wanted to get that out there to help this young man because I don't, you know. I don't want to be accused of not doing my job, which seems to be a thing here in the past couple of days. I just want to, not directly to me, not directly. That's not how people work these days. It's always, you know, some secretive behind the back stuff, some sideways comments here, you know, can't have that happen. Can't have that happen. Anyway, I mean, it comes with the territory. I mean, you get it. When you do something like this, you know there's going to be criticism, right? You get it, right? I don't lose sleep over it, but it doesn't make it any less annoying. You know what I mean? And that goes back, you know, to my days when I was in newspaper uh, to, you know, being a basketball coach to doing this, right? There's, there's, There's always criticism when it comes, you know, with stuff like that, with occupations like that, right? It just, it, it happens. Knowing full well that those doing the criticizing couldn't do my job half as good as I do. <laughs> that's the great part. And that's not being arrogant. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. That the majority of the people who will criticize somebody's writing or criticize somebody's coaching or criticize how anybody does a job couldn't even come close to doing that job as well. It's just the way it is. And it makes criticisms even more easier whenever they just put them on like Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. So there's no accountability whatsoever. Anyway. I digress. I've said this about a lot of things, whether it be coaching or officiating. People love to criticize officials, right? Grab a whistle. Do You do it. You, it's easy, right? It's easy to read a newspaper article and criticize it, knowing that you probably couldn't put together, you know, two paragraphs as good as what you just read. It's easy to sit in the stands and criticize a coach or an official or a player, but you never pick up the whistle and did it yourself. And it's easy to sit there and criticize a show like this for maybe not doing something you thought that should be done when you couldn't sit, you couldn't handle the big chair. You couldn't come up here and do what I'm doing right now. You couldn't. But again, I digress. Let's talk about Garrett Cole and this mess that he got himself in yesterday. And we discussed this yesterday morning about how Major League Baseball is gonna start cracking down on pitchers using foreign substances. Friendly substances. Pitcher-friendly foreign substances. And we talked about some guys use homemade glue, something called Pelican Grip, and something called Spider Tack. And what it does is it gives a pitcher a better grip on the baseball, which increases the spin rate, which, you know increases the break on a curveball or a slider or whatever. And this has apparently been going on for a long time. And just recently, Major League Baseball is like, "Yeah, we might want to do something about it. Because now hitters are starting to complain. Garrett Cole, former Pirate, former Astro, now the Yankees, he is one of those pitchers who has kind of been called out for using a foreign substance. And he was asked straight up yesterday by a reporter if he uses spider tack while on the mound. And this is the answer he gave.
3: I don't know. I I, I don't know if... uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, There are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. And, and, uh, I've stood pretty, stood pretty firm in in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, You know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game, and this is including, including the players in this room, including fans, including you know teams. And so, if MLB wants to, you know, legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation that we can have, um, because ultimately we should all be pulling in the same direction on this.
5: Do you understand the words that are coming out of
1: my mouth, (laughs) bro? What? That's a simple yes/no question. Do you use spider tack on the mound? And he leads off with, I don't know how to answer that. Well, guess what that means? That means you do. That means y'all cheating. Because even though it seems like a lot of pitchers do it, it is still illegal to doctor a baseball. Go all the way back to the days of the guys like Gaylord Perry, who was famous for it. It's illegal to use a substance on a baseball, to doctor a baseball. But it seems like it's been something that Major League Baseball is just kind of like, eh. We're not going to worry about it too much. But now it's starting to, you know, aggravate and annoy. Like, dude, it was a simple question. Yes or no? Do you use spider tack? Oh, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, (laughs) Why? Sir, did you murder your roommate? Uh, I don't know how to answer that. Well, then you did. (laughs) Then you did. Sir, did you uh, cheat on your taxes? I don't know how to answer that. Well, then you did. And then for Cole to say, well, you know, uh, there have been things that have been passed down from generation to generation, from older pitchers to younger pitchers. He pretty much just admitted it. He admitted, oh, there are some tricks of the trade. There are some, you know, some cheating that, you know, the guys, the old generation used to do, and they kind of, kind of told us, and now we kind of do it, and now it's kind of backfiring because now it's caught the attention of a lot of hitters in baseball, which is one of the reasons why baseball averages are at an all-time low. Uh, ESPN's Jeff Passan was on last night with Scott Van Pelt.
7: Well, Let, let's just get this out of the way first. If you're asked a yes-no question and you don't say no, then you're saying yes. And and the way that Garrett Cole handled this was just another in a in a line of things that have happened in baseball, whether it was Joe West taking Giovanni Gallegos's cap away, or whether it was since the June 3rd, not announcement, but it leaking out that Major League Baseball was going to start enforcing this, you go and look at the spin rates on players who have gone out and thrown their four-seam fastball since then. And there are a lot of them whose numbers have gone down. And and just as a primer on this, because it can be a little bit of a wonky subject that people have trouble understanding, the whole idea behind it is this. When you use sticky stuff, whether it's sunscreen and rosin combined or spider tack, which Garrett Cole was asked about, what it does is it allows you to generate more spin on your fastball and your other pitches. But with a fastball, it's particularly important because the more your fastball spins, the less gravity is pulling it down. So when you hear about a rising fastball, that just means the ball is spinning faster and staying up higher. And the number 10 culprit from research from Mike Bonzani at ESPN, whose fastball spin rate has gone down since June 3rd, was Garrett Cole. He had not, in the last three years, averaged under 2,500 RPMs on his fastball in an individual game. On his June 3rd start, 24-36. And uh, to answer your original question, yeah, we're, we're going to be seeing policing of this. I was told today by a source that this is not a matter of weeks. It's not a matter of days. But sometime in the next week to 10 days or so, we're going to be seeing umpires going out there and checking for foreign substances on pitchers.
1: Now, see, that I didn't know about the fastball. That, that That's actually educational. I thought it had to do with the breaking ball. But the fastball thing was actually news to me. I, I That's a different uh, take on it. And he talked about spin rate. And according to MLB StatCast data, Cole had a decrease of 125 rotations per minute on his four-seamer last week when he allowed five runs in five innings in a loss to Tampa Bay. Now, Cole said that his uh, spin rate drop-off was due to mechanical flaws. And one of the guys that kind of called out Garrett Cole was Aaron uh, Aaron Donaldson of the Twins. Because shortly after, I think it was, what, three, four? I think it was four uh, minor leaguers were suspended by Major League Baseball because they got caught using foreign substances. Right after those minor leaguers got suspended, all of a sudden, some of these pitchers started getting lit up, like a Garrett Cole. And Donaldson's saying, well, what a coincidence. As soon as these guys get, you know, these minor leaguers get tagged, and all of a sudden, guys like Garrett Cole, their spin rate starts to drop. Maybe they're a little bit scared. Maybe they stop doing it. The great thing about this is that Cole, his next scheduled start, is tonight against Donaldson and the twins. So I can't see, I can't wait to see how that plays out. Does Cole regain some form? They're not checking pitchers yet. They're not checking yet. Will they check tonight? Will somebody on the Twins ask an umpire to check Garrett Cole tonight? Have to keep an eye on that. Quick break. Come back to wrap it up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM, 1230 WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Before we get out of here, Let's check out the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about the two-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz. Blocked the shot of Marcus Morris in the final seconds to secure Utah's 112-109 win over the Clippers in Game 1 of the Western Conference Semifinal. And Gobert, it was was actually pretty impressive because Morris pump faked him. He's trying to hit a three to tie the game. And Gobert bit on the fake and went flying by. But then he recovered. I want to say, I'm not 100% sure, that after Morris pump faked, he did a dribble sidestep and then tried to shoot it, which gave Gobert a chance to recover and block the shot. I want to say, I have to go back and look at the replay again. I think if Morris would have pump fake, and then let Gobert go by and then immediately shot it, he would have had a chance. But he hesitated, and Gobert, nice recovery, block shot, secured the win, jazz win, and they lead the series uh, one to nothing. So Rudy Gobert, the player who delivered, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Reminder, tonight... Nationals and the Rays wrap up their mini a two-game series in Tampa. Uh, Patrick Corbin gets the start for the Nats. Catch the game right here. Uh, pre-game at 640 and first pitch around 705-ish. One game on tap tonight in the NBA playoffs. A uh, Game two of the Western Conference semifinal. Denver is at Phoenix. The Suns are. Uh, Lead the Nugs. Uh, One came to nothing in that series. On the ice tonight, as soon as my webpage decides it wants to load. Come on, are you serious? What, What is this, 1994? Here it is. One game on the ice tonight. The Bruins trying to stay alive. They trail the Islanders three games to two. Islanders trying to close out that series On the island, winner of that series will play the Lightning uh, in the next round, the semifinals. Lightning closing out the Hurricanes last night. Four games to one. So there you go. That's the slate, the docket, the calendar. One NBA playoff game, one Stanley Cup playoff game. Nats and the Rays. uh, The Orioles and Mets, game two of their three-game series. Or I'm sorry, that's that's a two-game series as well, right? And then the Pirates and the Dodgers game two of their three-game set. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, if a Pirate hits a home run tonight, uh, they'll remember to touch all the bases. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, We mentioned a fundraiser earlier for uh, Daniel Dill, this uh, swimmer at uh, Allegheny High School. It's a fundraiser, Father's Day. It's a Sunday, June 20th. 10% of the sales goes to help paid the expenses for Daniel's uh, trip to the Olympic trials in Nebraska, I do believe. If you go to... It's at the Frostburg Beach Club, okay? If you go, I'm telling you right now, you have to get... I've been there a couple times already, and I've never had anything bad there. I haven't. This is a free plug. Uh, They don't sponsor the show, I don't think. Maybe they will now. This is some free love here, since we're talking about it. You got to get... They have these uh, homemade chips... Right? They do their own potato chips with blue cheese dressing, this vinaigrette. Oh. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You have to get it. You have to try it. Get the chips with the blue cheese and the vinaigrette. I do believe that's what it is. Tacos are out of this world. I had the fish tacos, the fry. I'm not a mango guy that has like the mango salsa. That's that's just not me. Usually fish tacos have the mango salsa. That's not my bag, but if it is yours, go ahead. But I'm telling you, I have I've yet to eat anything bad there at the beach club. So head up there Sunday, June 20th. Take Dad up buying some uh, blue cheese chips and whatever and some tacos and help uh, Daniel Deal go to the Olympic trials. There you go. <laughs> Wrapping it up in the books. Amanda Mangan up next with Tri-State Today. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your day. Uh, See you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. See ya!